at that point, we were making revenue for about uh, maybe $200,000 a month. But what would happen after we went in there was all of a sudden we made $200,000 a day for five days straight. Hey, welcome to Shopify Masters, the weekly podcast powered by Shopify. Your companion for starting and building a business I'm Schwangester Shan, your host for the week, and every week we're chatting with entrepreneurs to find out what they've learned while building successful businesses. Have you ever wondered why formalwear is so stuffy and uncomfortable? Well, Christian Ackman, Casper Ulrich, and Christopher Back, three Danish childhood friends, wanted to change that. And they wanted to do it by making classic menswear as comfortable as sportswear. With no fashion or business experience, Christian, Casper, Christopher all got some serious pushback from their family and friends, but they were determined to bring their idea to life. Since launching Shaping New Tomorrow in 2015, they built physical stores, expanded the team to over 100 employees. The company was also named the best brand in all of Denmark just last year. Today, we're joined by Christian and Casper, and we're going to hear how they took their idea to an eight-figure business in a matter of few years. Welcome to Shopify Masters, Christian and Casper. Hi, thank you for having us. Thanks. So tell us how everything got started with Shaping New Tomorrow. We were in high school thinking, why is it so hard to buy clothes that is both good-looking and comfortable? And we were sort of like... Three childhood friends set out on a mission to revolutionize the menswear industry and we didn't have any experience in working with fashion, starting a business, but we have this, what we thought at that time was a genius idea, not our friends and family, they didn't think it was a genius idea, but we, we set out to, to change the way that, that we look at traditional menswear by combining the smart features and comfort from sportswear into classic menswear in order to to give the customer the opportunity to look and feel good at the same time. Did you have any pushback or words of warning from family and friends about entering into business with your friends? I would say one thing was entering into business with friends, but the other was like, my dad was really like, it's good that you want to play clothing store, but you really need to get an education as well because yeah, this is not going to be something big. Uh, How are you ever going to live from this? Of course, he was supporting and he thought it was a really good idea to get go out there and get some experience. But I feel like we both or we all experienced people like, yeah, really nice, really fun guys, but remember to do something serious at some point. <laughs> From my perspective, um, I remember we, we, we didn't have any money when we, when we set out to change the way of seeing uh, classic menswear. So we uh, sort of went to different business uh, men to pitch the concept in order to, to maybe find the possibility to loan some money uh, at some point. And the answer was everybody had the same reaction. It's a bad idea to start a business with your friend. In my desperation, I sort of uh, turned to my father and uh, I know the other guys did as well, because if we could just loan some money, then we could at least get started with this uh, concept that we wanted to create. And I can remember I sat in front of my father and pitched this uh, concept with fire in my eyes. And at the end, it was very very quiet and then he he looked at me and said casper this seems like a stupid idea stupid idea that you want that you think that you can do this and a stupid idea that that you want to do it with your friends 
But that sort of also gave us even more motivation of showing, of course, we can do this. You had this great concept. You wanted to make classic menswear more comfortable and more versatile. How did you even begin to talk about fabrics or finding textile makers and finding the right partners to bring your ideas to life? We started off as making a simple business model canvas of the value proposition, what we wanted to change in the industry. It's, it was clear to us we need the right partners in order to, to bring this vision to life. In the beginning, we tested some other countries uh, just by looking at the internet, finding some suppliers. And then at some point, we reached the conclusion that Portugal has amazing suppliers that have been uh, front movers in innovating fabrics uh, over a long, long period of time. So it seems very basic, actually, because it is. We, we made a short list of manufacturers in, in all of Portugal, in the north of Portugal, and uh, we contacted as many as possible. We contacted them by calling them and, and set up a, a lot of meetings down there. And I can, I can assure you that this was uphill uh, when we got there. We sent Christopher down there and actually the first place we visited, the owner of the factory sort of laughed at, at us because you can imagine these young uh, 21-year-old guys coming and telling them, we are going to revolutionize the menswear industry and we're going to do everything you have been doing in the past in a new way. And then at some point, they also talked about how much do I willing to produce? And at that time, we, we didn't really want uh, high quantities because we didn't have the money to do so. Yeah, we, we, we're speaking about maybe a hundred pairs of pants in the beginning we <laughs> wanted to order. So we were like, we want you to do things completely different. We want you to develop a lot of new stuff and we don't want that much of it. <laughs> Even though there's a lot of bump on the, on the road, um, we managed to find a supplier where uh, this guy, he has just uh, taken over his dad's company who has been manufacturing uh, pants professionally for 30 to 40 years. And he also wanted sort of to step out of his dad's footstep, I would, I would say. Uh, and he really believed in our vision and, and through their... Um, through their expertise, we were able to, to start the journey of innovating uh, the way that we think about classic menswear. After you found your ideal fabric and textile maker, how did you then go ahead with getting the right cut and the right tailoring for the specific vision that you had? So how did you go about finding the next person, the pattern maker or the designer? That's actually also a funny story because at the beginning we did the tailoring ourselves and the measurements together with our Portuguese partners. And um, a thing is that we are saying, and this is not super humble, uh, we are humble guys, but this is not super humble. We are saying we make the perfect pants, the perfect shirts and so on. We, we're not saying it's perfect. It's something that we strive uh, for it to become. So it's ever evolving the product. And, and the first product that we produced at the beginning has changed a lot over time. And the way that we do this is, is by being at eye level with our customers online and, and in the shops and gathering that data in order to make the product right for the customer. Uh, and that's also why that uh, we, we are doing these marketing campaigns around uh, embrace every shape because 
our products are actually tailored to to fit maybe 90% of, of body types, which means that if you go for a pair of our classic pants or essential pants, you can find them in plus 60 sizes to find the perfect fit for you. When we started, we didn't have that many sizes at all. So it was kind of like trial and error, which is something that we have really been embracing and something we've had to embrace since we started not having any real experience at all. Like I was going to be uh, responsible for our marketing and the only uh, experience I had was that when I was 15 years old, I was uh, really, really good at editing Counter-Strike videos. Casper were going to create our stores. He had uh, 10 weeks of carpenter training and Christopher, who were going to create our products, had never done that before. But we just had such a strong vision of what we wanted to do and was really willing to learn. We knew from the beginning that we don't know how to do this, but we see it as uh, something positive since we go into an industry that's so old and has been doing the same things for so long, just creating a, a spring collection, then summer collection, autumn collection, so on. We wanted to do it differently. We took the customer's perspective. Okay, how can we actually create as much value as possible for customers and not just do it the same way the fashion industry has been doing it for the past hundred years. And that's actually also a point about exceeding customer expectations. This was part of our core DNA from the beginning, and it's a part of our core DNA in everything we do all around the company today. So exceeding customer expectation is, is really the, the goal for us. Now that you have a few pieces, you have the fabric you want, did the online store and the physical store happen at the same time? Yeah, so we opened up our physical store and right after we opened a, a Shopify store. And the funny thing is that we actually used Shopify back then as well, but we were really new to e-commerce at that point. So we used Shopify because it was like a really easy entry-level thing that we could, do, we could do ourselves. And then what actually happened later on was we were like, okay, now we need a real website. We need <laughs> something else than Shopify because Shopify is for only for small businesses. But after we, we went to something else and we got smarter, we were like, wow, okay, Shopify is actually much more versatile than we thought. And we went back to Shopify and, and Shopify Plus and has now been using it ever since. So it, it, it was really really a funny um, exploration that we thought in the beginning that Shopify was only for small business owners, but really came back as a much bigger business and really utilized the whole strength that Shopify had. In the first three and a half years of, of our company, it was only me, Christian and Christopher, the three founders. So we had to do everything ourselves and we had no experience in, in doing all those sort of things. We built our own store and we we we, uh, we designed and, and innovated and engineered new materials for, for our products and, and we built our own uh, website without any experience. But at the beginning, it, it went well in, in our physical shop. And this was an, a way of us to be to get the constant feedback from the customer for us to rapid learn about uh, testing the product and, and, uh, and making them even better uh, from every batch to batch. For Christian, Casper and Christopher, they ran Shaping New Tomorrow's retail and online store on their own with minimal help for the first three years. Then in 2018, they did something huge to their business and it changed their sales trajectory forever. We went to a TV program here in Denmark called uh, Dragon's Den. And what would happen there is like at that point, we were making revenue for about $150,000 a month. And 
or maybe two hundred thousand dollars a month. But what would happen after we went in there was all of a sudden we made two hundred thousand dollars a day for five days straight, and then we were just completely sold out. And at this point, we were still only us three guys and a, <laughs> a student helper in the store. And so we were like, okay. We need to do something because we can't be customer service and be in the store and pack orders and all these things we need to do. So we called all the friends we have, all the family we had said, free pizza, free drinks, whatever you want, please just come and help us. So that really catapulted us so much forward in terms of making sure that we had processes and so on, especially because... When we were in the uh, in the Dragon's Den, we had a, an error on our website, and that was actually the reason why we changed back to Shopify. But we had an error on our other platform's website, where it, when it went to zero and stuck, it just started started going minus one, minus two, minus three, and so on. And we ended up having around two thousand orders that we weren't able to send. And then we were like, okay, uh, this is bad, but it's also a big. Uh, it's something we really need to fix because we only get this chance once. So we were like, okay, instead of just sending out an email saying, oh, we're sorry, you can't get your products. We started calling all 2000 people saying, we're so sorry, we will get your order in, in a one and a half month. Uh, please bear with us. And the extraordinary thing happened. And that was that only maybe three or four customers out of the 2000 said, oh no, just delete my order because all the others just really understood. And I think they really appreciated us taking the time to to explain what has happened instead of doing the easy solution and just sending an email. The reason why we did this was uh, actually not because we needed funding. And that's usually why you, you go to, to, to Lions Den and, and to get an investment. But the reason why we did it was because we could see in our in our physical shop, and this is a few years in, in the development of Shaping New Tomorrow. But what we could see online and in the physical shop was that when people came in, they thought it was a pretty high promise to say we make the perfect pants and stuff like that. But when they tried the pants on and the shirts on, they they immediately got this wow feeling. This is something else. And and not only that, they, they ended up buying uh, most of the time a lot. And then uh, several of weeks later, they will come back with their friends and family. So you have word of mouth uh, marketing, which was sort of the the reason why we grew uh, at the beginning. So we thought to ourselves, why not uh, participate in one of the biggest uh, national uh, broadcasted television show and tell our concept? Because there might be a, a chance that people will find our concept interesting and try it on. And that was actually what happened. We didn't, ex we had planned for it to, to go very well, but we had not scaled our processes or anything. So as Christian also mentioned, all these errors on the website and, and a big issue was also that in our physical shop, people would come in and you, we had queue of hundreds of people standing outside and waiting co to come in and they could try the pains. They could see the pains. The problem was when they wanted to buy them, we didn't have them. So you had to wait like six or eight weeks uh, in order to, in order to get them. This sort of phase was also something that make, made us mature a lot in terms of hiring the first uh, people and, and actually creating a skillful organization and, and developing processes. We implemented uh, Shopify again at this point in order not to have this error happens. And this was sort of made within a few months, we made a foundation that was ready to, to grow even and further. And during this this year, if we look at the, the year beforehand, we, we grew more than a thousand percent because of this, this uh, peak in, in sales. But then 
the same thing happened as what we experienced in the shops. So the year after we could open our second store and then the third store and expand to new markets online. I think this is like true for a lot of business this way. They do see a lot of publicity and success after going on Dragon's Den, Shark Tank, in whichever version of it. I want to loop back a little bit when we talked about how in the very beginning, when you were having both retail and online and you realize my family and friends, I've sold to all the people that I could possibly sell to. How did you then start to market and what were some of the things you did to reach a bigger audience? Yeah. So back then we were still trying to figure out how do we actually tell this story? We came by the crowdfunding uh, site Kickstarter uh, and we're like, let's do a Kickstarter campaign to really get it to mass market and also really to test out the product. And we had a all right successful campaign. I think it was around uh, $30,000, which was a lot for us back then. What crowdfunding really taught us was to focus much more about the problem-solving way than just focusing on the typical fashion way, where it's just like models walking around looking good. So what we did here was like we took a karate expert and really made him do crazy tricks in the, in the pants and um, did some parkour and so on to really showcase how stretchy the pants were and which were like it was just a complete eye-opener for us to really do it this way instead. Did you have any paid ads, social media, any tactics you also accompanied with the Kickstarter campaign? We just run it on, on Kickstarter and, and I would say the biggest learning from, from running that campaign, as Christian said, we, we took a, instead of showing the products, we told the story of what does these products do for you as the customer. It's sort of a logic approach towards communicating. And I would say this approach, we, we sort of um, put into everything we did afterwards and in our social media advertisement for our own uh, website. And we, this sort of was the, um, the change in terms of having zero orders a day to, to actually achieving orders every single day. This is something we have scaled the model by telling the customers what is unique about the product and what does this do for you. And then we have the other angle, which is the stretch further mentality about we want people to be enabled to stretch further in their life and inspire people. And this karate guy from, from Kickstarter, we have done that in several ways with this could be a portraying a entrepreneur. This could be by portraying um, uh, some athletes and, and stuff like that, but showing a, a lifestyle that, that they, they can relay on and uh, that shows that you can stretch further in your everyday life. It's super convenient that you can look and feel good at the same time. And we, we want to, to show this in our advertisement. Yeah. And in terms of social media and, and uh, paid advertising and so on, what we focused on in the beginning was really after the Kickstarter campaign, we had we had a slogan that we bursted out a lot. Uh, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to curse on this podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway, uh, <laughs> which were fuck sweatpants, stay classy. What we've always been really good at is the creative part and really making something catchy in videos, photos and, and texts and so on. What we weren't as good at at that point, but we got agencies to help us with, was the more programmatic part, uh, Google Ads and uh, and this stuff. So we have agencies helping us uh, for all the uh, technical side of social media and, uh, and Google and so on now. And then we 
do all of the creatives in-house. We have a big creative team creating everything from text, photos, videos. And that has really shown to be one of the crucial development points for our companies that we can we can have a good idea. We can make a, a quick test about it. We can, Let's say, for example, we have this new fun idea to throw water on the pants because they're water repellent. Let's see if that's something the, the market does like. Do a, a quick test. See, okay, the people do like it. Okay, let's dive more into this subject and create a bigger campaign about it. So it's been a really big benefit for us having these creative resources internally, because I think, especially in the beginning, you don't really have money to go out and hire creative agencies and so on to help you. So if you're not able to do these things yourself, you're off to a hard start, I would say. What's really important just from your stories right now, I think, is a lot of the times creative pieces is a part of your DNA and it's kind of like the artistic side of who you are. Um, And it's crucial for a lot of people to also know that you can um, get help in areas that you're probably not the best at. (laughs) The first cup of coffee, it was awful. Meet Rod Johnson, co-founder of Black & Bold, a premium specialty coffee and tea company powered by Shopify. The journey of Black & Bold started with us opening our online Shopify store while we were burning beans in my business partner's garage. Shopify allows us to stay true to our mission by having an easily customizable and responsive site. They make it very easy for novices to try their hand in becoming entrepreneurs. Get a free 14-day trial at shopify.com slash podcast. So Shaping New Tomorrow has grew substantially from their Kickstarter success and national TV appearance. They now have five retail stores in Denmark, with one that just recently opened in Germany. They also are an eight-figure business that just so happens to be able to multiply their sales by 10 times in the last year. And of course, it's not just Christian, Casper, or Christopher. They now have over 100 employees within their team. We uh, we were friends at the beginning. We are not anymore. So, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It it takes a lot of uh, reflecting uh, and development, personal development, and and to be concrete on on how do you do that. And I think there's a ton of different answers to towards this. But we have actually hired an external uh, coach to help us uh, develop with the company. I I spend a lot of time when when hiring and and working with a lot of experienced people, telling them also what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and making them challenge me in terms of doing things better. How can we become better together? But I think the the crucial part here is that if you want to do come from a, being a startup where it's only like a couple of guys uh, doing a little bit of everything to uh, becoming a scale-up and taking the next step from there, it's really important that you understand that you can't keep having so many responsibilities and so many jobs as you did in the beginning. And it's not because you're not good at them and it's not because that we are not happy, that uh, I'm not happy with the job Casper has been doing or he's not happy with what I've been doing. But if we want to scale, we really not need to start specializing. And that's what we've been doing the last couple of years. And I think we have been doing a quite good job at keeping the culture as entrepreneurial as, as when we started, I would say. And this is for a fact what I hear from, from new colleagues starting every month, that it's, it's crazy to see the ambition uh, and the friendliness and the helpfulness uh, 
throughout the organization. And, and I would say that the DNA is still centralized on innovation and development. And the Danish culture, I would say, where we believe that, that a great idea can come from everyone within the company. We really strive to, to push that forward. Yeah, we don't have much of a hierarchy here. And we're really trying to keep the startup culture Uh, but of course, use the scale up and big business structure and to create a, a workplace of tomorrow as well. I wanted to ask about the initial part of expanding the team because it comes with a lot of placing trust in people who are new to the organization and also ensuring that they have your trust, but also entrusting them with the vision that you have and the ideas that you have. So one of the most important things when we hire people in, in the bigger positions where we really have to give away responsibility has always been to find people who are much smarter at, at this exact area than we are. Because I know for a fact that if we hired people that we didn't think did a better job than what we could have done, then we wouldn't have been able to trust them. But by hiring people who are really, really smart at what they do has really made it easy for us to give away this power and control. Because if they do it, it will become much better. And our goal in the end is to make Shaping New Tomorrow the best brand possible. And we know ourselves from working a lot on ourselves and giving each other feedback. What am I good at? What is Casper good at? And let's try to become really, really good at that instead of trying to be a little bit good on a lot of things. And it's all about a mentality again, that we are able to be honest with each other. Uh, and we emphasize this. Uh, one thing when we look at candidates for, for a new position, we always look at their competences and, and and their experience. But another thing which is equally important is their cultural fit and their mindsets. Because in a scale-up company, there's a lot of change all the time and you need to thrive in, in change. From the beginning, we also agreed uh, amongst the founders that we are not able to, to scale this into an international success alone. Uh, and we knew that. And we also needed to make sacrifices here and there and accept that sometimes uh, I would have done things differently But uh, maybe if they don't do it the same way, it will be maybe even better. We need to, to let people go and hire smart people and get out of their way as well. Let's talk about international expansion. At which point did you build an English site in addition to a Danish site? And at which point did you realize we have uh, customers from Germany that love our product and also other markets? Actually, a couple of years ago, after we started to uh, be on top of the whole uh, Dragon's Den adventure and like really starting to get our processes right we were like okay we think we are ready to scale now but we were still a pretty small team at this point we were we were maybe 15 people or something like that but we knew okay let's start let's start going internationally but as i said we knew that we weren't able to like just go to the whole of europe at once because we were such a small team so we wanted to find a market and try to dominate that and just instead of just trying to spread out so what we did is that we made a four clone shops of, a, of our website. We made an, an English version, we made a Dutch version, and we made a German version and a Swedish version. Then we took content we already had, changed the wording in it to be uh, local as well, to see where we would have the initial market fit. Because we at that point, we still knew, okay, we're not going to be able to create a whole lot of different content for these markets in the beginning. So let's find somewhere where we actually have a good fit from the get-go. And what we saw was that Germany was by far ahead compared to the others. And then we chose Germany as a, as a big priority, but it was like, okay, but let's keep Sweden going as well. We won't focus on it as much, but we'll focus it. 
mostly on Germany. And then we actually closed down the two, the two other sites. We revamped the uh, UK site to be just a Europe speak uh, English speaking site instead. But we don't focus on it at all. We focus on Germany and we focus on Denmark and then a little bit on Sweden and Norway. So this was sort of like making a minimum viable product in order to test the market and then do some cash deployment and then choosing one market because we all, as Christian mentioned, we we knew that we were not able to to provide what was needed for every market. So so instead of doing that, we wanted really to to concentrate in order to dominate a market uh, when going into to Germany. A lot of people are also saying that why did you choose Germany? Because it's it's maybe the hardest one of them, and I agree. It's it is one of the hardest uh, markets in in Europe. They do everything in their Ordnung Museum own way, uh, <laughs> but. Again, this is also quite a challenge for us that we, if we can, if we can crack the code here, we can crack the code in a lot of other European markets as well. Yeah, we are always up for a good challenge. Exactly. <laughs> Since 2018, Shaping New Tomorrow's growth has been astronomical. They've reached over 8,000% growth, and this achievement was marked by the Gazelle Award, which has named them as the best business of 2021 in all of Denmark. It was the fastest growing company within the whole of Denmark, e-commerce, uh, retail, uh, production, everything. So, but uh, and we and we won that by a growth rate of eight, of over eight thousand percent over the last four years. And I don't think we would ever have <laughs> dreamed in our wildest dreams that that would be possible when we just started us three guys and our dad saying, hmm, yeah, but remember to get an education. But but to be concrete, uh, I would say from from the beginning we have been running our business for seven years and it's been an average of uh, approximately a hundred percent a year. So uh, the eight thousand uh, percent growth seems like a ridiculous high number, but it's it's measured from year one to to four, uh, which of course uh, I I don't think we'll have the same price next year with eight thousand <laughs> percent, but we're still striving to to grow a lot. Congratulations to all the things that you guys are doing. One thing I also wanted to highlight is the sustainability factor that you guys have incorporated into your fabrics. The fact that it is made from recycled plastics. I think a lot of the times there is this tension for consumers uh, within fashion where, you know, you do want new pieces in your wardrobe and you want to make the most conscious choice. So I love the fact that you guys kind of build that within the start of this business. I can say that in the beginning, it, it it was important for us. One thing is that it's it's classic menswear, so it's it's slow fashion that never go out, goes out of style. So if you buy a pair of pants today, you can you can wear them easily in in two years. Another thing is that we always strive to make the highest quality, which makes the fabric last longer. And then we want to when when we talk about sustainability, we 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 want to do every every single product within our core DNA. It needs to be good looking it needs to be comfortable it needs to be functional and it needs to be sustainable because what we experience is that people a lot of people they they sort of see this as a bonus but if you don't have the the core dna in the in the product then people won't buy it and then it's not a sustainable business but we are always striving to to do it we call this the zero waste strategy most of our our products is nose product which means it's never out of stock it's it's the same product maybe in different colors and so on 
So we have close to, it's less than 1% of our products, which is never sold. The industry standard is it's 30%. So it's a huge difference. And what we, what we have in, in spare and what we have in potential claims, you can't avoid that. But we will recycle this uh, into second life products. So, so what does this mean? This means that, for instance, uh, we are right now implementing from this less than 1%. We are also taking these these uh, extra stock and and making this into other products and you can make this into the same product but we can make it into furniture and stuff like that so if you go to our our shop in the changing rooms it will be made out of our old paints yeah and also it's like as you said like this plastic thing is really it's really something big and uh, so far we introduced um our essential pants, which is uh, made out of recycled plastic and also our blazer. And since we released them two years ago, we've recycled millions of plastic bottles found in nature and in the oceans and so on and really give them, giving them a new life. Uh, and I think that's such an important thing is to really figure out for the humankind to really how can we make waste something useful again? If we don't get a, if we don't find a way to reuse what we already have, we're never going to find a solution to this problem. So that's really been one of the things that we've been focusing on. And also what Casper is saying is like really creating long lasting products. So it's also a customer shift of mind that they have to understand that, okay, I buy this and it's a bit more expensive, but it will also last me that much longer and be more sustainable so that's really the big change in, in customer behavior that hopefully we will see much more of in the coming years to wrap things up i wanted to ask what you guys are envisioning for the future and plans that you can share yeah so we've always had a great great product and we've created great content but what we're doing right now is really getting the brand strategy in order uh, together with uh, some external help to really make this possible to scale big and really have defined guidelines and but also room to play to really create a distinctive and unique brand because i mean our brand name shaping new tomorrow it's a, it's a big brand promise but it's also something that we do want to deliver on so really figuring out what does this mean and how do we what can we provide to the world uh, with this stretch further and an inspirational part and trying to inspire men to get further out in their stretch zone and not get stuck in that comfort zone so really getting this defined is some of my big uh, tasks ahead and another thing is that we want to create the future of classic menswear and we want to do this one product at a time uh, so this means that we have a ton of innovation in our innovation pool uh, in the pipeline for the future uh, and from for now we have uh, i would say we have succeeded in creating unique products that really exceed the customer's expectation in terms of our perfect pants the perfect shirts and the perfect suits where it's all the, these products is something you usually see them and you will say this doesn't seem comfortable to wear but it's it's fantastic you you feel like wearing a pajamas when you're wearing a suit so what we want to do is is do even more innovations uh, in the future in in terms of these uh, product styles in order to own the whole wardrobe Amazing. I ask, I think, a lot of guests this because I think you guys had moments where you could have easily said no and turned back or stopped building when people said you shouldn't be in business with your friends or when you started to notice you've sold to all the friends and family you could or <laughs> when you notice those minus 2000 orders on your website. What is it that 
you think kept you guys going to keep on working past those kind of hurdles? I think it's an uh, embedded optimism and ambitious um, belief in our vision. And we actually had something that was missing in the market. You know, fashion industry is is a red ocean, but we, we took it with, with this logical approach to it and, and made it from our perspective, we thought this is a blue ocean for us. And we, we kept believing in that. You need to understand that there's going to be a thousand walls that you're going to run into. And uh, the ones that are going to have success is the ones that can keep standing up and changing directions and keep learning as they go along and believing in their vision. I completely agree with Casper. But again, I also think that the reason why we kept going is because no matter how hard it's been or no matter what happens, we were doing this free best childhood friends. So everything we did was just so fun. It was like, I, I couldn't imagine what I should do else. We've, of course, we've had <laughs> ups and downs with each other, but it's like, we've ju- we're just having the best time of our lives. And it's, I, I can't imagine anything better than what we're doing. So it's, it's never really been a choice to stop or keep going. Yeah. And even though we have, we have a lot of failures and a lot of uh, bumps on the way we're doing it together and we have each other's back. And I think that's also a part of the culture today that we are failing and we are succeeding together and we, we have each other's back in everything we do. And that, as Christian says, it's a lot of hard work and a lot of hours that we put into to, to the business. But as long as it's fun and we are in it together, then I, I've never seen it as an option of, of saying, nah, we are not going to continue. It's, it's never been an option. Well, we'll keep we'll keep being friends. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you guys so much to take time out of your schedule to share your learnings with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us. No problem. Thank Pleasure. you for having us. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Shopify Masters. If you enjoyed the story of shaping new tomorrow, please leave us a review on your listening platform so the show can be discovered by others. I'm Shwang Esther Shan. Until next time on Shopify Masters.